getting you ready for all the biggest games across the college sports world. This is BetQLU with RJ Choppy and Jeffrey Wright. Welcome, welcome, welcome to BetQLU. As the introduction suggests, my name is Jeffrey Wright. I am the co-host of the Gene Ottawa and Jeffrey Show here in Memphis, Tennessee. On 92.9 FM ESPN, you can always hear us Monday through Friday, 2 to 4. You can stream us anywhere on the Odyssey app. He is RJ Choppy, the co-host of Shannon RJ on 105.3 The Fan in Dallas. Weekday mornings, 5.30 till 10 a.m. RJ, did I see y'all, did y'all get in the mud this week? Yeah, we did get in the mud a little bit. Uh, yeah, Ed, you know, Ed, yeah, Ed Werder had to go stick his, uh, stick his face into our show. Uh, and, uh, you know, so, you know, my co-host Sean is, uh, a bit abrasive, kind of a cantankerous SOB, if you know what I mean. He has no problem. Uh, he doesn't back down me. I don't care. I'm just like, whatever. Just say what you want to say. I don't bother. Mm-hmm. He is the opposite of that. Uh, if he feels that he has been stepped on, he will, uh, he will, he will let you know about it. And, and we got it with Ed. Yeah. A little bit of Ed Werder stuff. Good for y'all. It was good to see the headlines. I was like, I was like. Pretty sure that's my buddy. Good to see that. Good to see that. Always nice to like read stories about people you know. All right, let's get into college football before we get into college hoops later on in the program. RJ, this is historically for you know guys that followed SEC football. This used to be a big week. This was National yeah. Signing Day, and throughout you know honestly because of the way the calendars changed, the, the early signing period. I think National Signing Day in February has been neutered, but it was striking to me. I didn't feel like I was alone in the sense that, you know, if National Signing Day comes and goes and nobody heard about it, did it actually come and go? It was interesting to me this week just kind of how nondescript it was. That did not mean, though, however, we didn't get some other people get into the mud. Lane Kiffin at Ole Miss made some comments about, you know, what are we doing here? Do we need a salary cap? He essentially you know, basically said, like, we have free agency and, you know, there's going to be schools that cannot compete with NIL deals, pretty much sticking the finger right at Jimbo Fisher. There are, in I don't know if it's fair to say reports, but there's informed speculation that the outstanding recruiting class that Texas A&M just landed over the course of the early signing period, as well as National Signing Day, that this signing class could have, if there was a salary cap, over the course of their tenure at AM, over $30 million in salary. That is obviously not a number that most schools can compete with. In fact, I've talked to people that believe if that is indeed what it's going to cost to sign big-name high school kids, there's basically three schools that can do it, one of which is Texas A&M, the other is Texas, and then the third school that was thrown around might explain why Lincoln Riley left a pretty cushy job at Oklahoma USC was thought to be the other school. I'm in this weird spot in that I do fundamentally agree that if you're going to have all this money throwing around, like this idea that the kids and the players shouldn't get some is absolutely absurd. Yeah. However, I do have trouble coming to grips with name, image, and likeness is not salary. And what we've basically just done was Oh, we brought it above board. We're basically saying name, image, and likeness. No, no, no. It's supposed to be if you want to go and if you've got some name recognition, you want to go profit off your name, you can go do that. Well, now essentially what we have is just 
schools that are just essentially paying, you know, signing bonuses, if you will. Yeah. I don't know what to do about it because, A, I don't even really know where to begin because it also feels like the toothpaste is out of, out of the tooth, you know, it's out of the bottle, if you will, at this point. But I, I don't know where to go because if indeed this is the case, we're basically going to just see all the all the great players basically sign with three schools and a sport that was never fair to begin with. I think it's just going to make it even yeah. way like we're talking truly the wild, wild west. I mean, to be fair, the only threat to sign with three schools is it is now. Yeah, uh, it's, right? it's Alabama, Georgia and, you know, pick your other rotation. Uh, it's really Ohio, Alabama, Ohio State and then pick your rotational Georgia, Clemson, Florida, yeah. you know, whatever, Texas. Um, so you're, like, you're sure. Yeah. Yeah. You're just, you're just transferring who they're signing with a little bit further West. Uh, but yes, I, look, I totally agree. There is an issue with it. Uh, it was not meant, I don't believe the NIL was ever meant or should be used as a recruiting tool. Um, you know, you get your NIL deal, you know, when you get to campus, not to get you on campus. You know, like, it, it, it's weird. Like, you know, the, the, the players who get the NIL deals aren't necessarily the high school senior coming out. It's the Tim Tebow who's a sophomore and he's already, you know, he's about to win the Heisman Trophy with a losing record. It's, yeah, and, you know. And Tim Tebow in college, honestly, I don't know if we've ever seen anyone as famous as he was in college. Right. So, you know, if he wants to go and, you know, sign a an ad deal like by all means like but right I, i'm in this weird spot where i fundamentally like don't think like you know like i think it's anti-american where these kids can't get what you know what they're what they're worth but it is like this weird reality of like is there really going to be no structure to it i guess that's kind of the right. issue that, I, that i'm i'm currently seeing you, you would need uh, there does need to be some regulation uh and you know and that goes that goes for a lot of things in college sports. You know, the transfer portal, like, is, is a mess. It's the Wild West, too. It, it, it does make it very difficult to um, build a program, or as Phil Fulmer would say, a program. It makes it very, mm-hmm. very hard to do. Um, you, you have to be able to ca- – like, like, when you sign guys, you're, you're, you're signing a class, banking on that class helping you, not banking on that cl- – you, you don't have to – you should have to oversign players – just because you know you're going to lose 30% of them to the transfer portal that are all going to be enrolling at Western Michigan. Like, you should have to do that. But they all are. They're all having to. And, you know, if it takes $30 million to sign a recruiting class, like, man, like, we have way underestimated the value of these kids. Or maybe that the current NIL is overestimating. I find it very that... Um, like, do you think that Quinn, that, that, that whatever company sponsored Quinn Ewers to go to Ohio state got their money's worth? Uh, I think it's been proven. They clearly didn't. (laughs) Right. Uh, what was that tea company that, that Bo Nix was doing? Oh, uh, Milo's. Did they get their money's worth out of Bo Nix? I'm going to go out on a limb and guess they did not. And he played. Yeah. You know, and I mean, he didn't, honestly, even lose a ton, he didn't even play that bad on the road this year. So it's like, you know, you're not getting your money's worth. Well, I think the thing that's interesting is because I try to look at it 
less from like a, a moral stance and more from, okay, what does this mean? And, and to me, what's interesting is, as you pointed out, the best players only going to a handful of schools is nothing new. What is new is that they now, now we have, in, as you mentioned, with the transfer portal, it's not even necessarily the transfer portal, it's the one-time transfer waiver for free. So yeah. what's interesting to me is, okay, how do you build a roster? Because most people have held the belief forever that the best way to always do it is you got to build with the best high school players that, that you can get. And you build that way, and you do a bunch of classes together, and that's how you build a roster. Maybe you, you fill in some pieces with a JUCO guy or a transfer, but that's the best way to do it. Well, now what I think we're starting to see is, let's say you're, let's say you're, let's take Tennessee, for example. And Tennessee is not, you know, Tennessee's certainly not the poorest of the poor. And we are talking about one of the most rabid fan bases that you can possibly have, very passionate, and this thing matters to them. So we're not talking about, you know, essentially just a a run-of-the-mill, lower-level Power 5 school. I think it stands to reason if you're Tennessee and you're sitting there going, hey, man, like, we got, we got, we can put together some money, but we cannot operate on a $30 million deal. Like, you know, to try to put some perspective into it, the highest I ever heard of back, you know, back in the day, the, the dark underbelly, the highest I ever heard of a pool for, for getting kids was like $3 million. And like, that was an absurd number. Like, I remember when I heard that, I was like, are you kidding me? Well, we're now talking about 10 times that. Yeah. And so if you're Tennessee, aren't you better off going, all right, well, if we've got in-state guys that really want to come here, like, let's go get them and let's get the best ones we can find. But I don't think you're just going to sign high school guys just to have a signing class. I think your best way to do it is let's go look in the portal and let's go find somebody that has three years to play, if you will. Yeah. We've got tape on him. We know what he looks like. And if he transfers here, he doesn't have freedom to transfer afterwards because, to me, the concern is if you sign a high school guy in your Tennessee, you're like, okay, what if we had a freshman that had a great year and he just wants to put his name in the portal to see if he can go somewhere bigger? And here comes Alabama. Here comes Clemson. Here comes yeah. you know USC. Here comes Texas, Texas A&M. And they're like, we want that kid. Well, now you have to be worried about re-recruiting him, at least if I'm going to a transfer portal guy that has – multiple years of eligibility, I kind of have some control and I can kind of know that, hey, he's got to be here. Like to me, that is, I think that's going to be the way that a lot of these schools that cannot sign the, you know, that that can't compete with this type of structure. I think that's the best way to build a roster now. I I think it's the best way to build a roster anyway with the the transfer portal. I I mean, honestly, because what you're doing is when you go down the transfer portal route, you take a lot of the risk out of the high school kids. You know, a lot of the, like we we can project how good somebody's going to be, but there's no way to project how they're going to make the jump from high school to college. And you know, unless you play, you know, six A high school football in Florida or Texas or California or, or Georgia, a handful of places, there's no way of knowing. And even then, there's no way of knowing how many five star quarterbacks have been busts. Well, I mean, I think I like uh, Kevin Van Valkenburg was set on a, a VSPN set of the quarterback position. 
it really is like alchemy. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you know, you know, when you see it done well, like it's, it's magic and, and you, but there's no really rhyme or reason. Like take a look at Joe Burrow, for instance, you know, I like to rip on urban Meyer cause I think he sucks as an individual human being, but like urban Meyer wasn't necessarily wrong to not pick Joe Burrow. I mean, Dwayne Haskins became a first round draft pick. They won a bunch of games. But there's no one in his right mind that sits there and goes, Joe, I would rather have Dwayne Haskins than Joe Burrow today. Like, right. But like, I can see why if you're sitting there in practice, Joe Burrow, you know, doesn't have quite the, you know, he doesn't have the Mahomes type arm. He doesn't have a Stafford type arm, but he's just that guy. Like, I don't know. Like it's, it's alchemy. And to your point with particularly, particularly we're pretty good at height, size, speed on defense. Like those guys, we, you know, the recruiting rankings suggest those guys hit more often. But offensive linemen, I mean, how often do you see this guy was a two-star and, you know, ends up becoming a first-round pick? Offensive linemen, like quarterback position, you just never know. And at least, at least if you're going to get a transfer, you've got some tape on him. And honestly, you know, you and I have talked about it. There's just a big difference between being 20 years old and being 18, especially if you've got a little perspective, you know, maybe you went somewhere, it didn't work perfectly for you. You know, you go to the next spot and you, it's, you just have a different approach. Yeah, you absolutely do. You've got a, you've got a massively different approach and, and what the guy looks like against, uh, against men, you yeah. know, what he has looked like against the next level of competition, you know, as good as high school football may be, Juco football is better. And, you know, D1 is so every level you could see somebody progress at, you get more information on and you get a better handle on what exactly you do. So if you're a school like, you know, like you mentioned, like Tennessee, if you're a school like uh, Ole Miss, uh, if you are Michigan State, uh, Wisconsin, I don't think you live in the high school world. I think you live in the transfer portal world. Until you, until those, until one of those schools gets Nick Saban as their coach, and then you deal yeah. with the high school football world. And I mean, even with Alabama, to me, like the the biggest news story of this week is, you know, the things that are going to get the headlines, of course, are money and whatnot. To me, the biggest development was Alabama did not sign the best class, and not only that, Alabama got beat on a lot of kids. That's just not something I'm used to. I, I. I suspect part of Jimbo's reaction is there's kind of this unwritten rule in the SEC of like, I, you know, we all know, we all know what gets done, but you don't change the system. And I'm now starting to wonder if Jimbo's defense is everyone knows that he changed the system. And, you know, that's typically when problems start to develop. That's when, that's when investigators start to show up. And I think, I think if you made me guess, that was the, that was the reason that he went so strong. Yeah, I mean, like, let's be fair. Uh, he also knows where the bodies are buried. Amen. Comes to Nick Saban. Uh, so, like, he's because he was on Saban's step. He's he's got he's got leverage of sorts. But you're right. I mean, he changed the game, and people don't like when the game gets changed. We'll keep you up to date on all the biggest stories in college sports. We'll also, of course, get into the big weekend of college basketball. He's RJ. I'm Jeffrey. Stick around. This is Beck QLU. 
From tailgates to rushing the field, on Saturday, it's BetQLU in the action. From noon to 8 Eastern, available on BetQL and the Odyssey app. You're listening to BetQLU with RJ Choppy and Jeffrey Wright. Hey, welcome back to BetQLU. I am Jeffrey Wright. You can follow me on Twitter at jwright 929 espn He is RJ Choppy. You can follow him on Twitter at RJ Choppy. A little bit of coaching news in the world of college football. RJ, Jim Harbaugh announced that he will indeed remain mm-hmm. a Michigan man after flirting with the NFL again. I said this on our show this week. I have this weird respect for Jim Harbaugh in this sense that in this world where everything has become so corporate and everything is PR and spin and whatnot, for all the jokes you can make about Jim Harbaugh, I do think he is refreshingly transparent. Like, when he goes and he flirts with another job, like, you know it. Like, he doesn't yeah. hide it, and, and you kind of always know where you stand. I did find it interesting. I'd like to know, did he turn down the Vikings or did the Vikings turn down Harbaugh, like, I, I do think that somewhat matters in the end. He's returning to Michigan. Also, quick shout-out to us. We sniffed out the Caleb Williams story. We, You and I, I felt like we laid it out beautifully last week. Caleb Williams is indeed going to uh, transfer to USC. We never bought into the Wisconsin hype and, and all the other places. Like, no. in the end, in the, in the end, what made the most sense was him going to USC, and that is indeed where it is. And what he's going to take a hot love with him, too, apparently. Amen. I respect that. Yeah. Uh, Jackson Dart, uh, we called it. I said Jackson Dart would go to Ole Miss. Uh, Michael Trigg Jr., also the tight end that got injured last year, uh, also transferring to Ole Miss. So we called that one as well. With Harbaugh returning to Michigan, what do we like? Th- does this feel like, regardless, like, I think people keep thinking he's going to keep flirting with the NFL. I kind of tend to believe him when. He says this week that he's just kind of done chasing it. Like, it, it feels like to me he's going to be at Michigan for a while. You know, I, I thought that going in, but, you know, if he's done chasing it, why did we hear so many stories this this offseason about it? I mean, that t- kind of tells me that either he is still interested in it or he was, and they all told him no, and now he is done chasing it. I mean, that yeah, could well, be I it. Yeah, well, it's entirely reasonable to think, hey – he just, you know, he thought he was getting a job. For the record, he interviewed on National Signing Day. Now, to me, like Very that weird. says more the state of National Signing Day than it does, but it's still a weird look, period. It could be the ultimate example of, like, you know, you swear off girls after you just had a tough breakup, and you're not done, obviously, but, like, I don't know. It's just, it, it was very weird to let this get as public as he did. Like, I, I for one, in the content business, am grateful, but, like, that was, he's a different cat, man. He is. Uh, I, I was grateful as well that he was able to uh, make this as public as he possibly could. Uh, I love when coaches say, I want that job. I'm going for that job. I'm going to get that job. And then they don't get that job and they go back to school. And I love, I love the, the drama uh, that goes with it. But, you know, it was always I always felt Harbaugh was a very good NFL coach. And I always felt he would do a good job back in the NFL if he wanted to, you know. But maybe it's tough to get somebody away from home. It really is. It always has been tough. And, you know, if you could find a, a guy that could coach your school that is 
in this case, a Michigan man, you know, and he stays there. I mean, that, that's good. That shows that he wants to be there. But, dude, like, I, I got to be honest with you. When, when, when that Minnesota thing came up, I was like, he's going to leave and he's going to go to Minnesota? Like, that's the place he's leaving for? Not Miami? Minnesota? The Vikings? Like, who wants to live in Minneapolis? No offense. Who wants to live in Minneapolis? It's, it's 12 degrees right now. Of course, it's 14 like, degrees out here in Dallas-Fort Worth. There's like three months a year that it place is gorgeous. Like, in the summer, that place is amazing. I do also want to shout out, I, I saw a lot of people that were throwing hashtag hate. I want to shout out the U.S. men's soccer team. Playing Honduras in Minneapolis in February, like, that is commitment to winning. Like, we're not, we're not screwing around. Like, we got to make sure we get in the World Cup. So, that was just a quick aside. I don't know if you've been following this story, but speaking of coaching drama, are you keeping up with what's happening at Auburn? Because this is electric. Yeah, they just uh, signed Bruce Pearl, five, uh, you know, $5 million a year. $5.5 yeah. million a year. Oh, we, called, we called that also yeah. last week, a lifetime yeah. contract. No, that is not what I'm referring to. Uh, you, know, you know, real quick, we, we talked about this this week. The state of NFL coaches' salaries is a little bit askew. When Bruce Pearl, the head basketball coach at Auburn, is making more money than Mike McCarthy, the coach of the Cowboys. And I don't mean a little bit more money. I mean 20% more money. Yeah, but don't you think McCarthy's still overpaid? Yep. Yep. I mean, to, I like the, the fact that McCarthy gets paid to coach football is truly a testament to overachieving. Like, that is just, like, I feel like it should be celebrated more than it is. But let me give you a quick rundown of what's going on at Auburn. So we're recording this on Friday right around lunchtime. So by the time you're listening to this, who knows? Because Auburn is one of those places that it's dysfunctional, but it's also like fiercely loyal to itself. Like it's a it's a very bizarre place. Like you kind of have to experience it to to understand what I'm trying to like. It is a dysfunctional yet tight-knit family. Like it's yeah. it's it's odd. But Brian Harson. For those that don't know, let me give you a quick rundown how Brian Harson became the Auburn coach. Auburn had decided they were done with the Gus Malzahn experiment. They'd had enough. It had run its course, and they were just done. Well, Auburn has a very like influential group of people that cut the checks. Those people tried to essentially lead a coup against Gus, get Gus gone, and they were going to promote their defensive coordinator at the time, Kevin Steele, to head coach. Well, this plan leaked to the media, and the rest of the Auburn fan base just revolted. They wanted nothing to do with this. This screamed of, like, old school, like, stupid thinking. This is dumb. So then they're left to think of a new plan. Well, the, the power brokers could not get on the same page of who they wanted. Some wanted Napier. Uh, the, no one, they couldn't agree on a candidate. Well, that allowed Alan Green, the athletic director, to go run his own search. And this is why the Brian Harson hire came out of nowhere. He was able yes. to run the search very quietly and without the distraction of the boosters. Meanwhile, the boosters are leaking to the media that they're interviewing, uh, uh, that they're interviewing uh, Napier. I, I, I lost them on some of the other names. All the while, he's making this search, and he goes and gets Brian Harson. Well... Brian Harson steps on to Auburn day one, not really being the guy of the power brokers. If you're not going to be the guy, you got to win big. And for yeah, those that have not been paying attention, Auburn did not win big. 
And all of a sudden, you've got unhappy people. Well, fast forward to National Signing Day. Auburn literally did not sign anyone. Zero. They did not sign anyone on National Signing Day. And all the while, they've been having players enter the transfer portal. It's just been a mess. But today, my favorite quote was from the president of Auburn University. RJ, I don't know if this sounds like a vote of confidence to you, but it doesn't really sound like one to me. At this present time, we're trying to separate fact from fiction. We'll keep you updated. That's not exactly a PR strategy that says, hey, all this is BS, like he's still a football coach. That, to me, suggests uh, they're trying to get lawyers involved and see how little money they can pay Brian Harson to fire him. This, uh, it kind of reminds me of, uh, with the Cowboys, Stephen Jones, the, the son of Jerry, when, the, when he was asked, you know, about Mike McCarthy returning, he goes, yeah, I'm confident that he'll be right back. It's like, what the hell does that mean? You're confident? Mm-hmm. You're confident to be back? Hey, boss, am I coming into work tomorrow? Yeah, I'm confident you'll be here tomorrow. Oh, what a vote of confidence. That's amazing. That's fantastic. Thank you so much. Uh, yeah, good enough for me. I'm good. No more questions. <laughs> I'm solid, man. This is great. Um, yeah, it, it, Auburn is a wild place. It, it's the, to me, it is the quintessential uh, SEC uh, fan base. Uh, they're, they're, they're passionate. They're loyal, but they're rabid, and they are, they're very impatient. Like, they, 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 that, that is their fan base. Um, and you're right, though. Like, if you don't have the, the backing of the guys with money, then you don't have the backing of the university. Because the guys and the girls with money are the ones that make decisions for the university. Uh, and and they, they play dirty, man. They play very, very mean and dirty. I wonder if, if, you know, if, if, if Napier would have even taken the job. Because he seemed to be very particular about where he went. I think Napier would have taken the job if he could have gotten to run his program like he wanted. And Auburn, like, wanted, you know, the, these, metals, like these meddling people, now, granted, they cut the checks. You know, they wanted certain coaches on the staff, and he was just like, I'm good. I'm done. And, you know, he got to Florida, and, and as we see over at Florida, there's no question who is running the show there. I mean, Scott yeah. Strickland went and got Billy Napier, and Billy Napier is running his program. I, I don't know. Like, it's this weird thing with Auburn that I think the Auburn job is a really good job, as we've seen. Like, Gene Chizik won a title there. I mean, obviously Cam did, but, hey, somebody had to get Cam there. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. And, it's a lot, a lot of the same people that we're talking about. Maybe 180,000 reasons why Cam got there. Well, we know he got 180 from Mississippi State, so I'm assuming he got more at Auburn. Uh, and, again, that was a tremendous investment. That guy, yeah. single-season greatest college football player I've ever seen. Like, I just don't know what you did with him. But Tommy Tuberville won big there. You know, guys have won big there. But there's this new reality for Auburn in which they've always dealt with Alabama. A lot of people think, well, who wants the, the Auburn job when Nick Saban's there? Most Auburn people understand, like, Alabama is what it is. The problem that, that Auburn has had recently, it's very close to Georgia. And they've been able to make hay in the state of Georgia forever. And that's how they were able to kind of compete. And while they weren't the Alabama job, it's a very good program with a lot of winning. Well, the bigger problem now is that Kirby Smart has built a monster in Georgia and if he wants a kid in Georgia, he doesn't let the kid get away very often. And right. so now they're fighting this two-front war, and then all the all of a sudden, Texas A&M job is what it is. LSU, I don't feel like it's going to be down for very long. You know, you're 
and you're not able to build the program that you once did. It's fascinating to me because I don't know if this Brian Harson thing goes the way that I'm assuming it is. I mean, like, let's be real at this point, you know, it's a matter of when he gets fired, not yeah. if he gets fired. Like to me, I don't know what they do next, but I do know this. We're about to have a coaching search in February. And this is this new calendar of college football is just unbelievable to me. Yeah. You know what happens yeah. when you get coaching searches in February? You end up with Derek Dooley as your coach. Yeah. yeah. Like, that's pretty much or, how or, it works. Mike Shula. Yeah, exactly. You know, they don't they don't turn out very well because anybody worth their worth their salt has already found themselves uh, a job. Yeah, like you're right. Kirby Smart basically did what Mark Rick did and expanded it. Like Mark Rick put the wall around Atlanta and he made it very difficult for the schools that would rely on Atlanta um, to to get players out of there. And Kirby now took that Atlanta wall which is still up, by the way. And then he also put it around the state. Like, if Kirby was there in his heyday, I'm not sure Trevor Lawrence gets out. Yeah. You know? No, I, maybe... I mean, well, I mean, like, to your point, I've always argued the the decline of Tennessee was Mark is less – like, it's, it's less of what Tennessee's done. It's the fact that, as you mentioned – Georgia said we're not letting these kids get out of Atlanta anymore. You know, like we're right. we're gonna we're gonna protect our turf. Then on top of that, Clemson and South Carolina started to say, "Hey, we got a lot of good football players. Like we're not gonna let them get away." North Carolina started getting more competent. Kentucky got more competent. It's less about what Tennessee's done. It's just Tennessee for a while was able to take advantage of incompetence elsewhere, but yeah. we're not seeing that anymore. And so right. this Auburn thing is wild because I, like you said. I don't think you're going to wind up with a with a. I don't think you're going to wind up with an inspiring hire. Uh, no, not this year. This is one of those things where it's almost like, do you just give the year away, let this guy coach this year, and then wait till next year's hiring cycle? Well, like to your point, when you use the example of Derek Dooley, I think that's the perfect example because I think Tennessee would have been better off instead of panicking and saying we got to get somebody. Name an interim. It's a it's a wasted year. You get it, but don't just make a panic hire. Make a panic hire. Make make an interim, and then you know, as we saw, I think part of the reason why Lincoln Riley is at USC. I'm kind of always skeptical and roll my eyes when like, oh, you've got to fire the coach so you can get ahead of the hiring process. I do think the fact that USC had basically the entire season to scope out the landscape and to get to operate and, yeah. and you know, kind of head first. I do think that's how Lincoln Riley wound up there. Well, hang on, hang on. Lincoln wasn't, he did not get oh, approached by sorry. USC until that Sunday morning. I, I'm sorry, RJ, you're correct. He was able to do apparently a Zoom interview, fly across the country, eat breakfast, read the newspaper, and interview with Scott Van Pelt all in like 90 minutes. Yeah, he was. Good point. You know, the, the great things that these jets these days are doing. Yeah. These, these speed jets, you go right to the airport, there's no TSA. I mean, basically, everybody's pre-checked. So, uh, you know, let's be fair to Lincoln. I mean, he didn't he didn't talk to anybody until that Sunday after the uh, the loss to Oklahoma State. There's there's again my my fault, Lincoln. I apologize to everyone and the Trojan family, of course, at, at USC. <laughs> when we come back, RJ, it's North Carolina Duke Week. Yay! I feel like no one's, that, no one's that excited, but it's Coach K's retirement tour. Coach USA rolls on. We'll find out just indeed what North Carolina plans to honor 
the great man that is Coach USA. We'll do all that next on BetQLU. From tailgates to rushing the field, on Saturday, it's BetQLU in the action. From noon to 8 Eastern, available on BetQL and the Odyssey app. You're listening to BetQLU with RJ Choppy and Jeffrey Wright. Welcome back to BetQLU. RJ, you tipped me off to this story. I need you to fill me in. Are you telling me that Coach K's final visit to Chapel Hill, they're not going to be rolling out the red carpet for him? That's exactly what I am telling you. Uh, Coach K is coaching in his... Final game against the North Carolina Tar Heels at the Smith Center. Final game at the Smith Center. Now, as has been customary this year, you know, like when they played against Louisville and such, they did a, um, you know, a little bit of a, I don't want to say a gift ceremony or anything like that, but some kind of a ceremony. Well, North Carolina, Jeffrey, is also doing a form of a ceremony in that they are going to do absolutely nothing. For Coach K, they will just announce it in introductions that the final game there. Other than that, they are doing nothing to honor them. They do not plan anything special. Uh, no gifts, no ceremony, nothing for the Saturday game against Carolina. This is why I'm a Tar Heel guy. Like, in the end, like... If you are a, if you are if you're just kind of like a, a nonpartisan, you always kind of find yourself either gravitating towards Duke or North Carolina. This is why I'm a North Carolina guy. Like, this is perfect. I found out just indeed how much that university hates Coach K. Larry Brown, who's now an assistant here at Memphis, he did a podcast, uh, honestly, like right before the season starts, so maybe like October, in which. He talked about the difference of how Roy stepped down and how that guy in Durham is retiring. Yeah, and, and it was very, it was, it was very much like a, you know, that guy's all about uh, integrity and whatnot, and as long as it makes you know everyone look at him. That's it. You know, now look, I, I do like, I mean, I don't like Coach K, and I, but I don't necessarily like this either. I mean, there is a certain people, no matter how fraudulent they may be, no matter how many players he may have purchased. Uh, with that American Express card that he always seemed to carry around with him and do commercials mm-hmm. for. Uh, and no matter how much he wanted to deny it, some people do deserve respect for absolutely never getting caught. Yes. In their entire yes. lives. Well, it's like you said, going back to Phil Fulmer, it's the program. It's building the program. Like In the end, that's, what, that's the respect that I have for him. Yeah. As you point out, it's always keeping it in-house. Yeah. He always did. And, you know, look at his assistants. He didn't fire his assistants. Absolutely he had not. his assistants were all former players that were loyal to him. The amazing thing is that Coach Cal's never been caught because he doesn't fire assistants either. And if he does, he probably pays them off. Well, like it's you got to you got to keep this silent, man. Well, the thing that's amazing about Cal is that he's got multiple schools have to take down their Final Four banners, yet none of it gets back to him. Like that, I think Cal's greatness is understanding plausible deniability. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, it, it really is. You know, you, you would think some of these other coaches would have learned a thing or two 
uh, on the ability to to just deny. You know, never admit to anything. Never cop to anything. Even if they got you caught, never admit to it. Uh, especially if you've already lied to start with. If you haven't lied, then you can just admit to it. Everybody, you know, is like, no, yeah, we don't care anymore. But Coach K, man, tip of the cap. You did it for 40-something years. You never got caught. Uh, you built a great program at Duke. Uh, it, it, it is, it was, there was a time where that was the best dynasty in sports. Oh yeah. Like late eighties till 2014. Yeah. I think yeah. they won the title in 15. Yeah. So like the late eighties till justice Winslow, that was the best dynasty in sports. And you know, maybe Carolina's just a little bit bitter that coach K lasted that long. I don't know. Um, but whatever it is, dude, like there is, th- he is somebody that you should probably honor. Probably. Yeah. I kind of get it though. Like honoring your rival. Like, I don't know. Like, I think the thing that's more interesting to me is we've got the Duke North Carolina game. And if you told me I could only watch one, I'd rather watch Baylor in Kansas. Oh yeah. Oh, this year special. Honestly, I think I'd rather watch Kentucky and Bama. Well, that Bama team's going to shoot 58 threes. You know that. Amen. Uh, so th- th- that, that will be fun to watch. You know, plus, you know, it's, it, I don't, you know, Carolina Duke, I mean, Carolina's not very good at all. Uh, and Duke's been, uh, you know, woefully up and down this year. I, I wonder, I worry about those programs moving forward. Like, you know, I, yeah. I don't know what kind of shape Hubert Davis is going to leave Carolina in when he's done. And I, I know John, I know everyone says John Shorten well. I, I don't know, man. Like, I'll, I'll be, I'll, I'll believe it when I see it. Well, I think the one difference is, I know you find this hard to believe, John Shire's still figuring out uh, how to recruit well. Like, the problem with Hubert Davis is they're not recruiting well. But I also think, like, in college basketball, it's this weird reality of what we started the show talking about. Like, I don't know what the best way to build a roster is. Because let's take a look at Kentucky. As you mentioned, John Calipari is, like, Mr. One and Done. If you look at most of their roster, like, they've sprinkled in, they've sprinkled in some elite high school talent. But he went heavy on the transfer portal. And I think he knew, like, i got to get older, i got to get experienced. And, I mean, considering what they did in Lawrence, Kansas last week, and, you know, I know they lost at Auburn, but we're starting to see. It seems like almost everyone's going to lose at Auburn. Like, that Kentucky team's still got a chance to be for real. Yeah, I mean, Kentucky has had three games recently uh, nationally televised, and they boat raced their opponents in two of them. Um, and, and then, you know, the, obviously the Auburn game, but everybody's losing at Auburn. Everybody loses to Auburn right now. It's not a big, I, that's not, that's no shame. Uh, that's no shame at all. So Kentucky's they're they're a solid team and they have figured out the, the balance between young and, and, and upperclassmen. They have figured that out. And a lot of these other programs haven't figured that one out yet. You know, coach K went to the, he went the old one and done route and, and, and it works sometimes. But there's often been times where he has not had that team look prepared late in the season because he's got kids. Well, that's if you're if you're out there for investment strategy, I started I started this theory like five or six years ago. When Cal has a young team, he'll call them kids. I'm out here getting these kids, kids. He will inevitably start calling them his guys. When they make the transition from kids to guys, that is when you hammer Kentucky with everything you've got. Because at that point, Cal has the team where he wants it. And then when they go from kids to guys, that's when they start rolling. And I think right now, 
He's got his guys. He said he said guys. He has started using the term guys. I noticed it. After the, I think I noticed it after the Kansas game when they interviewed him. I go, oh, he started calling them guys. When they go from his kids to his guys, that's a big one. A uh, couple of other things that I wanted to get into college basketball-wise. We've got, of course, Gonzaga's best chance maybe to lose in conference play. They go to BYU. I'm going to continue my principle, as always. I don't care what this line is. I'm laying Gonzaga. I'm always yeah. laying the number with Gonzaga. I don't care. In West Coast Conference play, the, don't let anyone fool you. The league is not good. No, it's not. You can prop up St. Mary's and Santa Clara and BYU. San Francisco, Stanford, they're trying to pump up USF right now. Do not fall for it. No. The Dons ain't got it. Like it's just, They're not beating Gonzaga. Guys, Like let's be real here. Like In order for Gonzaga to lose a game, like it has to be a we don't care and the other team really, really does. Oh, by the way, Gonzaga also has their worst shooting night of the season and that other team that really cares has their best. That, that's what you're going to say. Yeah. You're not, you're not uh, going to win this conference play. I'm with you. Big week uh, in Lubbock, Texas. Yeah. Texas Tech, welcome back, Chris Beard. I got to get your perspective from the state. I got to say, those videos of the, the bus from shoot-around the night before, like yeah. everything, and then that performance, I mean, that is just the ultimate, like, you know, when the guy comes back and they just gave it to him for all 40 minutes. What, what was what was your reaction when you saw the Texas Tech, the way they treated Chris Beard's return? You know, um, A&M has always been the most SEC of the colleges in, in, in the state. Um, you know, like they have got, they're, they're a rowdy fan base. They're very loud. They're passionate. The University of Texas, we call that the wine and cheese crowd. Let's be real. They're cult-like. I mean, that's. It, I think I A&M. feel like every SEC. Yeah, I feel like every SEC fan base is just kind of its own cult. They are. A and M is definitely cult-like. Texas yeah. is the the tea sippers, the wine and cheese crowd, and Texas Tech. Man, that's the party school, and that is the place where if you're going to go and be the enemy, that's probably the least, the last place you want to go to. They will. I mean, there is nothing. I've been there. Is nothing to do in Lubbock. Nothing to do but drink and and a, and a few other things that I don't want to talk about here. But, mm-hmm. like, it is rabid. If yeah, you, can good, Google, you can Google Raider Rash. You can Google it all you want, and it is true. Um, yes. <laughs> it, it, it comes up. So, mm-hmm. this was – we don't talk much college basketball on my show. Much by chagrin. My just co-host doesn't – he's not really into college basketball, uh, even though I love it. But we talked about this. This was an epic night. I don't remember. I can't think of a singularly better college basketball in the last decade. I can't. I mean, I'm sure there was one. I just can't think of one. I'm with you. I think the thing that has made me really gravitate towards college basketball again right now like compared to the NBA, I still prefer watching an NBA game. Like, if I, but the crowds have been college basketball crowds being back just make it such yeah. a different sport. Like, I do feel like the pandemic really made me realize, like, man, you, college college sports is about way more than X's and O's. Who's got what players? Like, the environment really matters, and that was just an awesome scene. Yeah. Oh, dude, like the the 
you, you can't, if you were to just watch a watch a game with no fans, an NBA game versus a college basketball game, college basketball game is unwatchable. Yeah, I mean it is it is thirty seconds of dribbling and passing the ball, and then an errant three point shot. Like it's it's slowed pace. It's much slower pace. The the shooters aren't nearly as good. Uh, you know, college football the same way. There's only a handful of quarterbacks that you actually want to watch. Uh, so without but but the crowds. And the energy of the game, to me, make it so much better than the professional counterparts. I, I'm with you. Like it's just the the scene, the passion, everything. Yeah. It's just it, it's that's that's what makes it so great. We are here each and every Friday night at 11 Eastern. Also, when you wake up all morning long on Saturday. Tomorrow it's BetQLU in the action. Connor Dunning will join me from noon until four. We'll be breaking down everything going on in the world college hoops as well as the sports world live betting, of course. Check us all out. It's all on BetQL, and it's all available on the Odyssey app. He's RJ Choppy. I'm Jeffrey Wright. Thank you for listening to and watching BetQLU. From tailgates to rushing the field, on Saturday, it's BetQLU in the action. From noon to 8 Eastern, available on BetQL and the Odyssey app.